One of my favorite things about Hodinkee has always been the community. I've worked for a handful of publications, and I've never experienced anything quite like what we have here. Over the last two years or so, we've been spending a lot more time out in Los Angeles, and I've been fortunate enough to be there for a number of our events and meetups. In the process, I've gotten to know the incredible watch scene out there, too. At one of our first LA events, I met today's guest, Chris Bruss. Chris is a disarmingly nice guy, somebody who lacks all of the showiness and pretension that's typically associated with Hollywood. His story sounds almost like a cliche, though. A hardworking kid from the Midwest is working in the mailroom at CAA and, before you know it, becomes the president of comedy media titan Funny or Die. While he's there, he's worked with the likes of Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, making some of the funniest videos you'll find anywhere on the internet. Chris and I sat down with Hodinkee founder Ben Clymer during our last trip to L.A., and we get into all of that and more. But beyond his career, Chris and I have a number of shared obsessions that we had to talk about, too. These include Grand Seiko watches, gaming frequent flyer point systems, and looking for that next under-the-radar thing to get way too into. This week's episode is quintessential Hodinky Radio. It's just a couple of nerds hanging out, talking about nerd stuff. I'm your host, Stephen Pulverant, and this is Hodinky Radio. This week's episode is brought to you by Bohm and Mercier. Stay tuned later in the show for a look at the Clifton Bomatic Cosk, a high-tech chronometer that offers phenomenal value for money. You can also learn more at bohemantmercier.com. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for being here, Chris. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on the show. And we've got uh, our esteemed founder and uh, CEO, Mr. Ben Clymer, here, too. Hello, everybody. It's, this is the uh, OG LA trip, right? We've That's got right. you, me, and uh, Mr. Holloway here. Who? Some guy. I think he's. I think he's sitting on the roof right oh, now. Oh, the video. He actually is. This is our video guy. We're talking. Uh-huh. Video guy. Actually, head of head of content as well. <laughs> uh, he is currently on the roof of the hotel uh, in which we are recording right now. So we're working. Getting a he, nice base layer. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. He, and then, you guys are really taking advantage of your LA trip, aren't you? I mean, when you live in New York and you're in LA in December, you kind of you kind of have to. And you see that I was late due to traffic today, I so mean, I'm really trying to give you guys the full experience. <laughs> <laughs> so we've established we're out in LA, and mm-hmm. you and I first met, I guess, probably two years ago now at a Houdinki event out here. And you know, you kind of mentioned what you do for a living, and I was like, oh, like mm-hmm. I, I've been following this for years, but I'd never heard your name before. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us who you are and what you what you do? Sure. Yeah. So. I'm Chris Bruss, and I am uh, the president of Funny or Die, which is uh, a comedy website, a comedy brand, a comedy, I guess, company overall. Um, similar to Hodinkee, we've been around for a little over a decade, coming up on probably almost 12 years, and I've been with the company for nine and a half. So I've done a lot of different things over those years, but uh, started out as a producer and then um, kind of segued into our advertising business, and then have just taken on a bunch of different roles and responsibilities, and now I help run the company. I mean, that's startup life, right, Ben? That's it, right there. So yeah. how, did, how did you get involved in the first place? So my first like real job um, out in LA was at CAA, the big mm-hmm. talent agency. Sure. I studied film and television in college, and that you know just seemed like a, um, a good first step was, was CAA. Um, I started in the independent film finance group, but then uh, moved over to uh, the business development group. And it was the business development group at CAA that kind of originally packaged Funny or Die. Will Ferrell at the time was a client uh, there, 
and they packaged it with the venture capital money from, from NorCal and sort of the technology, and they, they put it together. I, I didn't have anything to do with that. I was just an assistant at the time, but I was there. I was there when it first started. I, I actually remember one of my fellow assistants walked over with a DVD mm-hmm. and said, you got to watch this. And it was a DVD of The Landlord, you know, the very first Will Ferrell. Wait, so the first time you saw The Landlord was on a DVD? <laughs> In my Dell uh, desktop oh, computer. Man. Shout out to DVDs. That is amazing. Right? And Dell computers. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and I was like, I, I had... Um, um, I'd done sketch comedy for fun in college uh, with a bunch of my buddies who I was, I was living out here in L.A. with at the time. And I was like, this is hilarious and this is going to be amazing. And mm-hmm. so I said, when does this launch? And, and they said, it'll launch in a couple weeks. It's going to launch with this video. It's going to be this new site. It's kind of like YouTube, but it's just for comedy. Will Ferrell is going to be the face of it. Adam McKay is one of the co-founders. And it's just going to be kind of like uh, sort of Hollywood-focused um, online sketch comedy. And so uh, f- it launched with The Landlord, which was at the time, and maybe even still, like the fastest growing, most viral video of all time. Obviously a huge hit. And very quickly, even though they didn't think they were going to need it, they needed to hire up a staff of people in LA. And so I recommended basically my roommate <laughs> and a couple other people that I knew, and they were some of the first employees of the company. And so uh, while I was at CAA, they were there sort of starting this thing. And I was just always around. I was at the office hanging out with them, um, always hearing about the different shoots and uh, just generally sort of a part of what was going on. And about a year and a half in, they were like, you should come over and actually come here and work with us, be a producer. And and it was a no-brainer. It was like a, the chance to do with my friends from college what we were doing in college for fun yeah. and actually like do it professionally. That's the dream, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. I mean, you know this, right? As somebody who in, <laughs> <A little bit. laughs> in, in school, you were like, this is a fun thing. And now you get to do it yeah. professionally. It, yeah. It could be a lot worse for sure. Absolutely. So you, Funny or Die started with the landlord. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think most of our audience is probably familiar. I hope most of our audience is familiar with this sure. video. But for people who aren't, can you just describe this thing? Because it's, it's kind of a strange thing. And obviously, once you see it, it makes sense. But I would love to hear you describe what the <laughs> landlord is. Sure. So they shot it at Will's house. So this is 2007, okay. and which is when the, when the site launched. And it is uh, Will and McKay. They're hanging out at Will's house. There's a knock at the door. And Will says that it's his landlord, Pearl. And he's He's behind on rent, and he's super nervous about it. And when he opens the door, it is Pearl, but Pearl happens to be McKay's, like, three-year-old daughter. <laughs> and um, I, I have a three-year-old, actually, right now, and I can attest to the fact that when they're young at that age, you can tell them to say anything, and they'll just say it. And that was basically what they, I think, had realized was that if they just told Pearl to say something, she'd say something. And so that's where she through their direction, became a slightly foul-mouthed, very angry, (laughs) aggressive landlord who was not taking any of uh, Will's BS. I thought I was clear in my email that I needed a couple weeks. I want two hundred. Can I just get two more weeks? I want my money. You need to relax. Yeah, that's all. Uh-uh. I want my money, bitch. Hey, don't call me bitch. I'm a grown man. He says, I'm a grown man. Yeah, so this was, so this was obviously a huge sensation. And I think the reason why um, 
which you might not think of right now, is that in 2007, celebrities were not doing stuff like this on the internet, right? Sure. I yeah. mean, celebrities were as far away from YouTube as possible. Real and established talent like this were doing film and they were doing television and there was no interest in doing something on the internet like this. And so for a major international movie star like Will, and then a lot of Will's friends and other people to quickly follow on after that to say, yeah, I'll do something like that. That's what really sort of became a sensation. Now, obviously, to see a celebrity do something online is not that rare. So it's, it's, it's a different world. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I think that's why it was such a sensation. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you remember what the conversations were like back then about why do something like this, A, short form, and B, on not just online, mm -hmm. but online on your own platform? I mean, this was the era, like, Will was making like wedding crashers at this time. And right. like, you know, uh, old school was just a couple years old. Yeah. Anchorman. Like this was this was the heyday of like Will Ferrell, Adam McKay, just like huge blockbuster amazing comedies. Like Yeah, they they shot some stuff in that early that first year, like on the set of Step Brothers. You know okay. what I mean? So like this was God, I love that yeah. movie. <laughs> I love yeah. that movie so much. <laughs> um so I think that why this was so appealing to Will and Adam and then to all of the other great talent that um, pretty quickly said, yeah, I, I want to do something and, and has said that over the years is that particularly at the time, everything in Hollywood just took so long and had so many cooks in the kitchen, right? I mean, still to this day to make a movie, it's three, four, five years, sometimes longer, just in terms of the development and the casting and the producing it and all this kind of stuff. It just takes so long. So, um, and same with TV, and there's so many, you know, we have to shoot a pilot, and maybe it gets picked picked up, and maybe it doesn't. So it's just a very complex, very um, long lead time kind of a process to make anything. And you have to remember, Will and Adam um, came out of Saturday Night Live, right. where um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a television show that, well, it's been on for decades, still sort of, you know, writes and produces and goes live with that show all over the span of one week. And that's incredibly exciting to just say on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I've got an idea. And then on Saturday, you're performing it in front of people and you're actually hearing the laughs, right? Sure. And so they're just, besides SNL, in traditional Hollywood at the time, there really wasn't um, something that allowed these guys to, to exercise that muscle of theirs, right? And so now by creating a website, having your own platform, having um, your own budget to just go do stuff, albeit not a big budget, you could say, I've got an idea, call up a friend, even a major celebrity Hollywood friend, hey, do you wanna do this? You know, Have an idea one day, shoot it the next day, edit it the next day, and it's just up on the internet. And maybe you're not hearing the laughs live like at SNL, yeah. but you're seeing the comments and you're sharing and you're seeing the views and you get that same kind of like, that's great, I didn't have to take four years to then be at a movie premiere somewhere. So I think that that was the real, that was what made it really exciting for, for the founders um, and probably what still makes it an exciting place for people to come work with us now. Sure. So what were those early days like? Do you have any specific memories of just kind of how, how kind of campy and how kind of low budget the, those days were? Because I have many from when Hodinkee was <laughs> like, and Steven were like, we couldn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I mean, look, that, that first office that um <laughs> that we were in um uh, and that i that when i joined the company like a year or so in was in pretty rough shape it was this really rundown spot in hollywood and um 
basically every video that we shot was either in this cramped office, in this little courtyard of grass outside the office. If you go back and watch the early ones, you will not believe what we somehow made that courtyard look like. We made it look like like the, like uh, a wedding. We made it look like um, a, a shootout for police. I mean, we made it look like everything. And then in the back behind this little house, this little bungalow was a shed, like a, um, like a Home Depot like storage shed, right? And that was our like soundstage. That's where we shot, um, for example, like Between Two Ferns. So if you go back and you watch the Between Two Ferns with Charlize Theron, her and Zach are like dripping sweat. And they like, <laughs> she like makes like a joke about it and stuff like that. And it's because um, it was like August and it was like 90 degrees outside and they're in this like tin corrugated shed with no air conditioning and it's just, <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, it's like blistering hot in there. And, and, and that was those early days was just, um, you know, just basically trying to do stuff with no money, um, fake stuff as much as you can to kind of make it look like something. Now, Between Two Ferns hasn't exactly, um, uh, uh, you know, it, it still is just a black backdrop with two chairs, but at least I think yeah. there's air conditioning when we shoot it these days. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty major upgrade, to be fair. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Especially when we shot... Um, at the White House with a, with President Obama, that was a that was a, a that was certainly like the next level up and and f f really far from shooting in that 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 little tin shed in the backyard. Did you get to go to that shoot? I did not get to go to that shoot. Um, it was a it was a tight circle. I can imagine. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, but uh, it was a very exciting time for us. The the story from that, I remember when I first started at Funny or Die, um, like I said, there was like this crappy little um, bungalow that we were in. And I walked in and taped to the wall right by the door was a handwritten note from Mike Farah, who was the first producer at Funny or Die. He's now the CEO. He's a, a close friend and colleague of mine. And it said something like, um, I, Mike Farah, you know, hereby promise that sometime over the next eight years or by blank date or whatever, sure. the funnier die team will get the opportunity to meet President Obama or I'll eat my hat or something like that. That was what it said and yeah. he signed it and, and it was all witnessed and stuff like that. And it was on like a torn out piece of paper out of like a, a notebook. And, uh, you know, we were working with big celebrities at the time, so it certainly wasn't like totally unfathomable, but... Um, it's just not what was done uh, at that time. There's just no world where the president was going to do something goofy with us. It just, it just wasn't going to happen. Right, and he was a sitting president at that time. Correct. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because <laughs> we've um, seen Clinton and a few other guys get a little goofy after. After, exactly. exactly. Yeah. But when you're there in the office yeah. and uh, you're under a microscope, you just um, you don't get goofy till you leave office sure. usually. So, um, so that was hanging up in that office, and it would kind of travel from office to office as we, as we grew as a company, as we moved. And it's a, it's a long story, and it's probably better told by Mike, uh, uh, but uh, eventually we get this opportunity. Um, the Affordable Care uh, Act is sort of under threat. Not enough people have signed up. Not enough young people have signed up. And through a ver variety of channels, we've gotten in touch with uh, Valerie Jarrett, who has sort of asked our help to... Um, to reach young people, which is something that we and our brand and our content has, has been able to do over the years. Um, we pitched this idea. Um, lore has it that Bradley Cooper was involved in helping to sort of push it through, but, but um, I think the president at the time realized that he needed to do something uh, um, 
not drastic, but something different. Sure. That 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 young people were not going to be tuning into um, the White House press room to see him behind the the, the podium. So so uh, this was the idea. We shot it. It um, turned out super well. He is happens to be a pretty darn funny guy and really understood what we were doing. Obviously, it was a huge sensation. A lot of people saw it. And more importantly, um, when we tracked the traffic that week, like 40% of the traffic going to healthcare.gov was coming from funnierdie.com. And so <laughs> that's, that's a serious number. Yeah. So, or it increased the traffic by 40%. It was something pretty drastic. And um, they were very appreciative of that. And so, um, Cut to the deadline passes, enough people signed up, the, the, the thing's actually going to be viable. And they, they invited us, and this is where I actually got to go this time, um, um, and a handful of other Funny or Die folks, as well as a ton of different people who had all been instrumental to helping with the Affordable Care Act uh, and its success. We got invited to the White House, we got to meet the president, and um, Mike brought that little piece of paper that had mm-hmm. been taped up on his office wall all those years, and the president signed it something like, uh, I'm glad you won your bet. You know, thanks for all the help, your help, President Obama. And so that's now nicely framed, not just uh, scotch taped to the wall <laughs> uh, in Mike's office, um, but certainly uh, quite an evolution from the humble beginnings of that, of that uh, Between Two Ferns show. That's really funny. I mean, I think, you know, it's easy to look at, at some of the stuff you guys do and say like, okay, you know, it's, it's funny, it's entertaining, you watch the video and then you go do the next thing. Mm-hmm. But like, you're, you're reaching an audience and you have the kind of trust of that audience that you can, you can actually make a quote unquote, like make a difference in, in quotes. How does, how does that change how you approach when you're developing content? Is that something you think about a lot or, or are you mostly just trying to get that next laugh? Well, it's both, right? I mean, we're, we're not, we're not a company that's 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 um, that's core core mission is sort of like social impact work, right? I mean, yeah. obviously, um, we are an entertainment brand and an entertainment company, and so that's where our focus is going to be. But I definitely believe that through entertainment and through comedy, and now it's not actually that rare anymore, right? I and mean, between um, late night hosts and uh, John Oliver and a lot of other places, uh, comedy and tackling complex, serious issues and talking about sort of uh, social good and social impact through comedy is not all that rare. But I do think that we've been, uh, we've had the privilege over the years of being able to work with some folks to do some cool stuff, whether that's for charity, for social good, for um, environmental awareness, or a lot of other things where we can, um, we can uh, use comedy, use talent to hopefully, you know, um, better reach people. Obviously, some of this stuff is pretty serious and pretty dry, and so it's easy for people to tune out. And I think if you can get them laughing, you can get them listening, and 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 maybe you can sort of help to make a difference. But it's not what we're setting out to do every day. It's more like getting the opportunities to do those kinds of things, uh, whereas the core mission is just to sort of make the highest quality, funniest stuff we can every day, which now is not just online where we reach a lot of people, but... Um, we have a pretty robust uh, television production business. Um, we've done stand-up comedy tours. It's kind of that's why I kind of I call it a comedy brand because it kind of reaches a lot of different mediums. Yeah, I mean something Ben Ben and I talk about not infrequently when we hear about you know friends or, or people we know through the the media space launching new things is often you have a great idea you can make some great stuff but like that 
doesn't necessarily make something a business, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, so how did you guys, I mean, you, you, you had Will Ferrell, you have Adam McKay, mm-hmm. you had some VC money, but like, how do you take making a hilarious video online and make that an actual business that you can build and, and turn into a comedy brand? Yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's certainly not easy. And, and, um, and over the last 11, 12 years, the business model has had to evolve, right? So at the time when Funny or Die was first started, it was just going to be an advertiser-supported business, display ads, pre-roll, and great, that's it. We're set for forever. And that's not obviously um, uh, the case, certainly right now, with how um, much the digital media um, sort of business has changed um, with Google, with Facebook, with a lot of different ways that advertisers are actually focusing on reaching an audience. Those are still important parts of our business, but we've certainly had to diversify in a lot of different ways. One of the first things that I did pretty early on at Funny or Die, um, mostly because I had the patience to work with advertisers, which you guys probably know is not always the easiest thing to do. It sucks. Yeah, <laughs> it sucks hard. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the yeah, the story is that, again, I'll bring up Mike again, who's, a, who's, who's my colleague, but he was the first and only producer at Funny or Die, really focused on making as much celebrity stuff as possible and making people laugh, et cetera. And finally they got him on the phone with uh, uh, a major soft drink uh, manufacturer. And they were like, we got this idea for this funny video. And they said, and they said, and we're gonna do this and we're gonna get this celebrity and da da And he, having not a lot of patience and not a lot of experience said, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> and uh, so they said, well, we can't ever put him on the phone with the, with advertisers ever again. Yeah. Chris, you're much more patient and understanding of how this stuff works. And so you'll be the guy that's in charge of this stuff now. And so that, that's, that was from that moment um, um, is when we basically s- sort of started our, our, what we call branded content, branded entertainment business, which is creating sponsored or custom content um, in collaboration with an advertiser. And that really changed the way the business would work, right? Because you still have display media, you still have pre-roll, but all of a sudden you have advertisers who are really invested in doing something interesting with you guys, mm-hmm. and you're able to unlock much larger budgets and much more interesting opportunities. So so that was um, you know, probably like uh, 09, uh, 2010, when we first started doing that. And it's grown in a in a really um, in a really cool way, just in terms of as a part of our business, and also just the opportunities that we've had from going with Adidas down to Rio for the World Cup, or um, um, you know getting much bigger budgets than we would normally have to mm-hmm. produce like really high quality stuff with with big talent. Um, I think it's been a really beneficial thing for the business. So that's one uh, area where we've been able to diversify. I mentioned stand-up comedy tours for years. We did a, a tour with Live Nation with some pretty big names, and that's obviously a different sort of type of business model to to be in. And then um, and then television production, which is a it's actually a much more traditional type of business, but has been a really successful uh, business for us from. Um, uh, we produced a show called At Midnight, which is on Comedy Central for many yep. years. Mm-hmm. Um, we've produced uh, 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 a show called I Love You, America with Sarah Silverman, a show called Brockmire, which stars Hank Azaria, which is on IFC. A lot of shows that people may not even know that we created or or are behind, 
but it's great to be able to have that as this other sort of part of our business that's not just the web business. Yeah, I, I kind of want to, you know, transition, I guess, to, to I mentioned how we met was mm-hmm. at, a, at a Hodinkee event. Yeah. And occasionally I get these these moments where you meet people who, you know, their careers and their paths kind of line up with your own in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been a, a Funny or Die fan since the the early days. You know, I'll date myself, but I was I was a senior in high school when it launched. And I remember the landlord came out and was just mm-hmm. like, it was the biggest fucking deal ever. Like it was, it was what Ben's, Ben's giving me looks. How old are you? What? <laughs> how old are you? I mean, I'm I know like, how old you are, but I didn't yeah. realize you were quite that. that. Yeah. 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 He, he's, he's precocious. Yeah. yeah. I'm, 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 I'm a child. It's okay. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. To then like, you know, I know you've, you've been following Hodinky for a while and it's always yes. funny to have those moments where like you yes. follow what we do, but I've been following what you've been doing. And so how did you, I mean, it's obvious that the way I discovered funny or die was through right. the landlord. How did you discover what we do? I wish I knew exactly how I'm sh- how I, f- I, f- I, I found my way to the original Hodinkee site. What I do super vividly remember is being at my desk at CAA on the eighth floor and procrastinating and just being like, I'm just going to sit here and just read Hodinkee all day. And <laughs> so that would have been like, oh... Oh nine, oh eight, oh nine, probably. Absolutely, and that's so early days. This was mm-hmm. an early, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I mean, was there a? I mean, not like the landlord, but was there a story that maybe first like spiked that I would have found across through like back, GQ or through something else? Yeah, I'm I mean, trying to figure out what it was exactly. Back then, it may have been uh, either Gandhi or Steve McQueen's Samariner. Gandhi did not have a Samariner for the record. <laughs> Gandhi had something very, very different. Gandhi Samariner was a huge watch. Yeah. Breaking news: Gandhi, oh, so Samariner Gandhi and Steve out. McQueen co-owned a Samariner. <laughs> exactly. oh, let's go with that. Yeah, uh, I realized so, they were so close. <laughs> So Steve McQueen's The Mariner was kind of our, our first big break. And yeah. that was probably 2009, 2010. Yeah. Uh, and so for like 200 grand today, it'd be like $2 million, you know? Right. Uh, that that could have been it if it was back then. Obviously, much later, the John Mayer video, that was kind of a big, big break sure. for us. Uh, but that what was, year was that? That was 2014. 13. 13? 2013. Yeah. Um, so that that was like, that's when we had Will, who we were joking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was a, a full-time you know producer for us and mm-hmm. he really made that happen. Um, but yeah, I would I would probably guess something related to Steve McQueen's Mariner back then. Was yeah. the old, was the first site that it, was it kind of had like maroon? <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> oh man, uh, really? That's, that's before my time. It, I never it, saw maroon. If, if there was any maroon involved, it was probably the early days on Tumblr, uh, which is where we launched. Uh, so we maybe were on, I found it through Tumblr. It's possible. So we were on Tumblr back when Tumblr was 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 really popular, yeah. uh, especially for like the menswear world. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so Tumblr first, and then we jumped over to Squarespace. And when we jumped over to Squarespace, I had a friend of mine who was something of a designer, uh, really do like an actual layout instead of yeah. just kind of, you know, basically like a WYSIWYG design, which is what I did. Right. Um, but there may have been some maroon involved. It's, it's very possible. <laughs> Maybe, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, yeah. So, so, so it was very early on, and it was it was bookmarked in my web browser. I probably ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, logo had serifs back then too, did, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. man, that came from a real designer too, by the way. That That's, wasn't like a me thing. Wow, yeah, I know. Oof. So, so yeah. I mean, my I, I yeah. I, I guess I can't remember what it was. Was was the original post? But but. Um, as you guys both know, um, once the curtain kind of gets pulled back into just sort of the depths and complexity of this yeah. world, then, um, you know, it's, I mean, 
everyone, even you know, everyone knows that that idea of sort of that of a Wikipedia rabbit hole kind of a thing, where you're like three hours later, like where am I, right? And, and <laughs> why is it doing? dark outside yeah, now? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I that it was through the certainly through the original site where I really um, I don't know, it just opened my eyes to um, to this whole world and um, and has been this thing that uh, you know has been this thing that I've I've really enjoyed being able to to follow and the site i mean the the whole the whole hodinky site and brand and business over the years you're right it's almost mirrored sort of as we've funnier die has grown and evolved and diversified and uh i was so bummed that i i I didn't get to go out to new york for the for the hodinky 10 stuff oh sure uh but uh yeah it's it's congratulations it's like really exciting to see what you guys have done with it Thank, Thank you, you very much. Yeah, no, it, it, it's funny. I mean, you, you talked about your, your early days at, at CAA. I mean, that that is basically who I was. Yeah, uh, at, just at UBS, and yeah. I was just producing the content. <laughs> but it, it's really what that's kind of our bread and butter. You know, we we actually aim to be this reprieve for people. You know, mm. so you you ended up just fine, I'll say. <laughs> uh, but you know, I have several friends that I knew when I was at UBS or prior to that in consulting that. I still kind of fucking hate their jobs, you know? Like they're yeah. just there and just yes. like I, I clock in, I make good money, I can, you know, I can put food on the table for my wife and kids, but I hate it. Uh, and so Hodinki to to many of those folks, we we often hear is that kind of relief from 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 reality in some exactly. ways, you know? It's just yeah. something to nerd out about and, and go crazy on. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah, we're we're doubly blessed in that we have jobs that we like and we get to nerd out on watches yeah. too. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Were you a watch guy before you found Hodinki? Um sort of. Certainly not uh at the to the level I think that you would, that, that we're talking about, right? Sure. Um, the, I think the, the briefest background is that my, so I'm from um, a relatively small town in Wisconsin and my family has a small retail business that's been there for over a hundred years. My great grandfather started it in 1911. My grandfather took over, my, my mother, father, and uncle took over. And then just about two years ago, my younger sister took over. So it's fourth generation wow. and it's uh, evolved as businesses do over the years. Um, but it's really been like, you know, um, Norman Rockwell kind of um, old fashioned soda fountain. Sure. Um, uh, a confectioner, you know, selling chocolates, fine chocolates and stuff like that. Other kind of gifts, the stuff you'd place you'd go probably to get your mom something for her birthday or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's always had a men's shop, what we call the men's shop, which is, um, has always, uh, predominantly been tobacco, right? So p- uh, pipes when they were more popular and pipe tobacco and then cigars, um, uh, as they've become like really the more popular sort of item. Um, and watches have been something that have, have been sold at the store for years. So when I was younger, um, and I spent you know most of almost all of my time like after school running around the store and stuff like that, there was uh, we sold Swiss Army Victorinox Swiss Army watches, and so there was always a really cool display case with all those watches. And my mm-hmm. dad uh, wore one. And uh, when I was in high school, he he bought a new watch and he gave me his old one. And that was kind of the first time that I wore a watch. It was the first time probably I needed to. Uh, know what time it was, right? <laughs> you had to have responsibilities <laughs> sure. um, of some sort, at least, to get to tennis practice or something like that. And uh, um, and I was super into it. I was super into it because my dad gave it to me, right? And I was also super into it because I just liked the look, the kind of field watch look to it. And that's what I wore um, all through college and uh, out here in LA. And then I remember... Um, I had an affinity for the brand, obviously, because we had they'd been in my life, 
And then uh, I remember I saw a spread, and I think it was Vanity Fair, mm -hmm. and, and it was about sort of um, sort of modern military watches, and one of the ones featured was a Victorinox uh, military watch with kind of a cool army green dial or something like that, and I thought, that's so cool. And I had just maybe gotten a year-end bonus at CAA, you know, as an assistant. I'm sure it wasn't much money, but I called uh, Feldmar, which is a, yep. a watch yeah. dealer here in L.A., which is a awesome place uh, to hang out. And, and, and they were like, yeah, we can get you that. And so that was like my first like actual purchase. And I was super excited about it. It was like a um, military style chronograph quartz, obviously, sure. but I was super into it. And, um, and I was really into the fact that I could like swap out all sorts of different, like um, uh, straps on it, rubber strap, bunch of different color NATO straps. And, and that was like probably, the first time that I felt kind of cool about my watch. And that probably aligns a little bit with when then I first discovered Hodinkee. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, this goes way <laughs> deeper than I thought. <laughs> and also, yeah. wait a minute, my wrist is way too small to wear a 44 millimeter watch. <laughs> so, so, um, so yeah, but that was, I think, kind of like, uh, that was kind of my um, entry into, into this world. Um, and, yeah, ever since I've been super into it. Do you still have that watch? I do have it. Yeah, it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really get any wrist time anymore. I know that, uh, I know that um, one of the things that uh, through other Hodinkee Radio and stuff like that uh, episodes, I do feel like uh, I should probably um, get rid of it at some point. But it it feels like that's. Uh, kind of a important piece maybe yeah i, I would yeah. say quite the opposite I'd, yeah i think you hold on to that you know your son yeah uh, and uh, make it a thing well if he has the same dainty wrist that i do i don't know <laughs> if that's gonna work very well for him the trend will swing the other way at some point it'll yeah. be it'll, it'll work there will be a time where it'll work yeah. should, we, should we do that today should we just decide that big watches are cool now that's it we're done okay 44 millimeter if you could then it. i'll i'll pull that one yeah out of the drawer <laughs> and get it back into rotation and now i'll look at this week's sponsor the Clifton Bomatic is a collection of watches from Bowman Mercier that combines classic looks with modern movement technology. Best exemplifying this approach is the Clifton Bomatic Cosque. Starting with a stainless steel case, a clean white dial, and razor sharp hands and hour markers, the Bomatic Cosque is a great everyday timekeeper. As you look closer, you'll find more details though, like the crosshair dial and the subtle date to hold your interest. Inside is a brand new in-house movement with a five-day power reserve and a silicon escapement to round things out. Bowman Mercier is also offering all of this for a very competitive price, making cool modern watchmaking a little more attainable. You can learn more about this watch and the entire Bomatic collection by visiting bowmanmercier.com. All right, let's get back to the show. You're really like a, a tool watch guy, right? Like that kind of original style has, has stuck with you. Yeah, you know, I, um, yes, I am somebody who uh, through through anything, uh, you know, through whether that be clothing or automobiles or anything like that, I'm I'm I certainly am focused on sort of utility and, and tool uh, and things that really have a story that is driven by you know purpose and stuff like that. I, I mean, you know, what you'd consider more dress watches and are, are, are beautiful, but it just doesn't feel like the kind of thing that I would really wear or get much wear out of. So it's never been a focus for me. I, 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 love, I love dive watches. I love watches that are meant to 
um, get go in the ocean and get banged up and, and that kind of thing. And then I also travel a lot and I, I love watches that are, you know, inspired by uh, travel and aviation and that kind of stuff. So those tend to be like the types of watches that I'm most into for sure. And from that Victorinox chronograph, what was what was your next move and how has your like personal collecting kind of evolved? Yeah, the next move was, um, was the Seiko uh, SKX. Uh, classic. It's a classic, yeah. Yeah, um, the... Zero zero nine, so with the with the red and the blue um, bezel, and that I wore for years, and I wore it everywhere, and I just loved that. Um, I just loved that it went all over the world for me. I mean, one of the things through my job that I've had a chance to do is do a lot of travel from uh, South America to India to all over Europe to South Africa. So so it. I'm not much of a. Um, I'm not really at all an Instagrammer, but I always felt like I, in my head, I had those photos, right, of that watch. <laughs> You're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, you create that account. Yeah, yeah, all over, all over the world, and so, so I really that was like my my main watch for years, and um, and I really started to go down the rabbit hole of Seiko. I I am somebody who really loves things that um, have a great story and and also have. Um, are pretty impressive, but that you'd have to know to know, right? Yep. Um, yeah. One of my first cars that I bought, the first car that I actually bought with my own money was a, a, a Volkswagen GTI. Sure. And I just love that most people thought it was a Golf and I knew that it had this great turbocharged engine underneath, right? And so that's, that's uh, to have something that's really high quality, that you know is special, that other people who recognize it also know is special, yeah. but to the average person they'd never know, I, I, that's a fun, that's a fun sort of um, secret to have, right? And so, uh, so Seiko being obviously a, a a a mass consumer brand, but also having some really special pieces, uh, if you know about them, uh, was really appealing to me. So, I remember it was uh, the they started to leak the idea about the first diver issue. So this mm. was probably in like. December, January, uh, in advance of, of Baselworld. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I think that that is going to be, that should be, that, that feels like that should be my first big purchase because that is going to be, um, the kind of thing that is a really exciting piece. It's a limited edition. It's a great size. It can be a daily wear. It can, it's built to sustain anything. And yet it'll also be this thing that at work, at wherever else, people won't even notice it, and right. it can kind of be this fun thing that I have. Yeah. And so, um, so I remember then they announced it at Basel World. Uh, I think I was at South by Southwest at the time, and all the you know all your posts come out in the middle of the night. Yeah. Right? So I'm yeah, in Austin, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I'm up. I you know there was some meetings or some, some big event and some late night thing. And then we're in the room and my wife is like, you have to go to bed. And I'm like, no, they're just starting to post in, <laughs> in, in Switzerland. You understand? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it, it's out. And there's, there's pictures. And, and I was like so excited about it. She was like, yeah. Hodinky to to making wives miserable since yeah. uh, 2008. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, and so that was, yeah, that was, that was my first, I think, big purchase and, uh, continues to be kind of my my daily go-to on the yeah. nice hodinky. Ooh, oh, that yeah. looks good. Leather strap. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, 
This is something that people I see do, which is, you know, counterintuitive, but a leather strap on a dive watch. All the time. It looks amazing. It really yeah, does. It looks yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not actually diving, it's yes. totally fine. Yeah. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I'm not actually diving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get into the water pretty regularly, but yeah. no, I'm not. Uh, I don't need the uh, 200 meters. I certainly don't. Few do. Yeah. Few do, yeah. for sure. Uh, that's it. That, that, yes, this is, my wife understands that my interest in all of this, but also um, certainly doesn't get it, right? And, and, and I'm sure this is probably something you hear a lot, but the, uh, it was that same trip to, to South by, we were, we were going on a long trip and uh, I just heard you had the Ray Nato guys um, yeah. on and I yeah. know they're part of the, what you guys do now. And I think they had just started releasing podcasts and we were going on this like long trip and like an hour drive and I was like, can I put on a podcast? My wife was like, sure. And I put on the Ray Nato and like <laughs> <laughs> three minutes in she was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what are these guys? So, sorry, James and Jason. What are, they, what are they talking about? You know, and uh, yeah, certainly if it's not um, an, an area of interest for you, you probably are going to like not be super into having that on for an hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the great NATO is deep. I mean, there are boys, but they go deep. They, yeah, they exactly. Really yeah, yes. And they, and they just, and they, as excited as they are, they don't really modulate their voices very much. So you, you're taking all the information in, but uh, for somebody not in the know, they're like, I don't know what's going on with this thing. Honestly, those guys on their show are exactly like what they're like in real life. <laughs> right. Like I've known yeah. both of them for a long time. Yeah. So is Ben's is gray. And like they, that is what those guys are like in real life. They're the best. Yeah. And I love that show too, because obviously watches is, is a huge part of it. But uh, as I said, I'm also super into sort of other pieces of high quality gear, whether that be, um, you know, outdoor clothing or other things like that. And I love that they focus on that stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mentioned earlier that we first met at a Houdinki event out mm -hmm. here in LA and we've, we've been coming to LA for years and years, but I would say like maybe two years ago, we started coming out a lot. More. Yes. It's been great. And it's, it's great. We, we love it. Um, you know, not just in December when it allows us to escape the, uh, <laughs> cold and, and snow, but, right. uh, it's been fun. I mean, I've, I've been coming out now probably somewhere between four and six times a year uh, for the last couple of years. And it's been great to get to see the watch community here. It's yes. so different from the New York watch community in a lot of ways. Um, and I have some thoughts on that, but I kind of wonder, how would you describe the watch community out here since you're, you're in it every day? Well, I am, and I'm, I am, and I, I, I'm in it, and I'm also not in it. I mean, the, the, as you know, I've got two young kids, and so the opportunity to, um, to carve out time to be able to go and meet up with people and stuff like that has been limited for me. That's why one of the reasons why it's, um, it's been great that you guys have been doing so many events out here is because it's just something I can put on the calendar and, 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 and make sure that I can, um, uh, get the opportunity to actually, you know, meet up and interface with, with folks. I think as you guys know, I mean, this is not just for watch community, but for any community, LA is so spread out, it's all car based. And so it, it does make it harder to say, oh yeah, just on Tuesday night, we're just going to do this thing. And, and, uh, you have to really, you really have to want it right to be able to get people together. And so, um, you know, what, what, what I've found mostly through uh, the Hodinkee events and a handful of other ones is that people in L.A. come from all over. I mean, I remember 
the one at the uh, at the Ace on the roof was that yeah. yeah yeah I you know I struck up a conversation with a guy who had come from like one of the desert cities like he was like a two hour drive and yeah. he was like going to go back that night and and you realize that um, maybe maybe it's different in New York but I don't actually have a ton of what they'd call IRL you know in real life you know friends in my actual day-to-day life who are watch enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. So this opportunity once a month or whatever it is to be able to go. And I don't know anything about these people other than that we both, we're we're all into watches and we can just start immediately talking about it. And it's almost like a release valve, right? It's almost like you, you, you read stuff every day, you're constantly looking at photos and you're seeing new stuff and you finally have somebody face to face that you can actually talk about. Now you guys, do this all day every day so <laughs> so um it's different for you guys and maybe in new york it's just easier to to find people and interact with people but i think in la there's like this incredible thirst for it and you've seen it just with the turnout for things right uh it's crazy uh and how far people will come and 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 maybe this is any party but also people don't tend to want to leave like yeah. you guys are like oh, all right well yeah. we're done now. problem man. yeah and then people are just in the parking lot being like where do you live? Irvine? Okay, well, could, do you want to just chat for another 15 before you hit the road? So, I remember the first event I did out here on my own was I was out here for an event with Hermes and Apple and uh-huh. decided that yeah. we would just do a meetup. We decided this like 48 hours before I flew out here that we would do a meetup at the Line Hotel mm-hmm. in Koreatown. And the reason we did it there is because I was staying there and it was easy. And right. we were like, great, they'll, they'll like rope off part of the bar for us. And the idea was we'd get like a couple people together, do like two hours that's, in a hotel bar. I think that's where I met you. Was I think so. Yeah. yeah, at the line. And uh, we had people show up almost an hour before the event was supposed to start. <laughs> right. And I remember I had woken up and taken the 7 a.m. out of New York. So it was like 4 a.m. local L.A. time. Mm-hmm. And I remember at like 1130, the, the event was supposed to end at nine, by the way. Uh, at 1130, people were like, we're going down the street. We're getting Korean barbecue, like 10 or 15 people. And I was like, guys, I got, I've been awake for 23 hours. Like I re- I really got to go to sleep. Uh, but it was amazing. We like shut the whole place down. And I was, that was when I was like, Oh, whoa, like the yeah. community out here is, is for real. Yeah. And I, I think Hodinkee and obviously many other sites like ours, you know, has really allowed these, these, these guys in most cases that, that kind of believe themselves to be islands to, yeah. to find peers and to, and to find a way to, to engage. And, and, you know, in New York, it is a little bit easier. It's a smaller you know geographic area. Um, um, to, to have kind of as as you say like in real life friends that like why like watches I, I have a few believe mm-hmm. it or not yeah okay and um, but I, I think LA is so interesting because it is it's a, it's a major city you know yeah. it's the second largest city in the country uh, and you know we come out here and it really feels like the, there's just this like thirst this overwhelming thirst that that we don't even really feel in New York mm-hmm. I mean, in New York we we get huge turnout but it's almost expected yeah in LA it's really not you know so we did yeah. this event with UTA in, in September and the right. response to that even was, was crazy we did a cars and coffee which is not even our thing and we had like you know three four hundred people show up and amazing cars well and angelinos they know cars too yes. they have good cars absolutely yeah there's no salt on the roads here so that's <laughs> that is true you're very lucky yeah uh no I, t- I totally agree and i think one of the reasons why people stay so late is because they know when their head hits the pillow they become a pumpkin again right now they're sure. back to their regular yeah. life and and uh that that community for the night is kind of you know and obviously social media and stuff like that has changed things too so you yeah. feel like you can connect uh with people um through this interest, through this hobby, but it's really, it really is exciting to, to be able to uh, be face to face with people, talk to people, see watches actually in the metal, hold the watches and that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and that's why 
it's great that you guys come out here to do this stuff. And I'm also so excited that you're taking the chance on this podcast to announce your West Coast office. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You heard it here first. Fantastic. His name is yeah. me. Okay, yeah. great. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm the bureau I think, chief. Yeah. I think Gray and I are uh, yeah. staying out here with you too. But uh, You guys are going to love it. Uh, I already do. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, we obviously deal with some folks in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. kind of adjacent to what, to what mm-hmm. you're doing. There's a lot of watch collectors. Um, have you ever had a moment at at work where you're you know on set with somebody and they're like, "Hey, nice watch," or you notice they're wearing something and you're like, "Hey, nice watch," and it's it's like a little bit of a, a connection there. You know, I, I wish, but I I but I really haven't. Uh, it it uh, you know I I know I know Will Farrell is a Rolex fan and 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 uh, and he's got a nice collection. But he also, it's, it's, it's just nothing that sort of has come up. And when, we're, when I'm working with him or really with anybody, you tend to be pretty focused on the business at hand, right? And you have so, like an actual job to do. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> imagine that. You know, it, and that's the other thing. You never know if someone's going to go, you, you never know if someone just happens to own a Rolex right. and then not care, you know, or Which someone has most a, people. Yeah, or a yeah, Panerai right. or something like that. And you're like, oh, and then they're like, what? And then you're like, oh, never mind. I didn't mean to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, it, that, that's the other thing that's freeing about, um, and I've done this too, you know, at airports or whatever. You're like, oh, hey, that's that. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And you're like, okay, just carry on. Yeah. But uh, that's what's freeing about going to an event is that you're like, I don't have to be, I can just literally just like, people are expecting me to talk to them about their watch and want to talk to me back about it. And so that's like a very freeing space to be. You don't have to be bashful about making the first move. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta, I I have to start to get more confidence about that. Yeah. It it, it is tricky. And even in in my own role, you know, in my, my own life, when I see people wearing like, you know, in New York, you see guys wearing Patek Philippe's, you know, really expensive, crazy watches. I'm like, Oh, like, tell me about that. Like, Oh, great watch. And some people just don't give a shit. Yeah. And other people like, Oh my God, like you, you notice, thank you so much. Right. Uh, it, it is, it's a scary thing to make that first move. But I guess what's the difference if you compliment someone's watch and they don't know what they're talking about, then you've just complimented somebody. It's such a bummer though. You know, because it's yeah. just like you, like at least with me, like I love this stuff so much. Yeah. It's like, wow, you've got like a you know fifty nine seventy or some really amazing watch. Like they just don't care. Yeah, uh, th- that's a bummer. But yeah, yeah. say lovey. We saw a guy in the airport last night as we were flying out here on our flight mm-hmm. uh, who was wearing a gold sixteen seventy five GMT mm-hmm. on a like you know vintage style like Hodinkee style leather strap. Yeah, and we were trying to figure out like he he's one of two things. He's either like a super fan mm-hmm. uh, or like inherited this watch from somebody or somebody bought it for him for his birthday and knows nothing about it. And there's, there's probably nothing in between there. Like it's one extreme or the other. (laughs) Right. And if you approach a stranger in an airport and they're like, Hey, that's like a thing. Like we're a part of this world and they're not a part of it. That is a really awkward interaction. (laughs) Like you have majorly violated somebody's uh, personal space there. (laughs) Yeah. But even if it's his only watch, he probably has a good story about it. Right. And that's, what's so great about, um, that's, what's so great about this, uh, this hobby too is is that is that every piece has a has a story, right? I mean, at least it's, it 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 probably should. From there's so many people who buy a piece to commemorate a special event, yep. or uh, had to track down a vintage piece and sure. the story behind what that would be. And then you know, even just the Victorinox that I got from my dad, that's a story, right? So Definitely. so so yeah, even if it's that person's only watch and they've never heard of Hodinkee and they don't know how special it is that they have. It's probably special to them for some reason. Yeah. 
And yeah. in, in, in some cases, for, for me and for Stephen, that, that's almost a better thing if they haven't heard of us, because that means that there, there's a whole new group of friends that can be turned on to what we're doing. Yeah, it's true. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if, well, I mean, maybe just through sort of your audience measurements and stuff like that, but I wonder how much this community is growing. If you, if you know what I mean, yeah. to be able to, tr to track that, I mean, in terms of um, followers to an Instagram account or, or users sure. that come to your site or amount of people who show up at, at live events, uh, I have to imagine that that there's a that we're, you're able to see that this oh, yeah. is an audience and a community that no really question. is definitely growing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's just you know web metrics, things like yeah. that, but also like when when we put out the the uh, announcement for the H10 celebration, yeah. the, the 10th anniversary, we had 17,000 ticket requests, wow. uh, yeah. know, which is which is insane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just insane. We for were like, for the record not expecting Correct. that many. I mean, like th this is like you know this is a conference basically about watches in yeah. New York in like pre Christmas pre holiday on know? the weekend on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Yes. and we had that type of, of response. And you know you know Stephen and, and Will have done a great job on on, on the web. And you know, we've doubled our traffic in the last two years. Yep, uh, and that's year eight to ten. You know, I mean, to, to have that kind of growth this late in the game uh, says a lot. And yeah. so, you know, in in many cases, we're, we're we're talking to advertisers. They think that like the market's fully saturated. It's really not. And like as you said, like you're hanging out with with major Hollywood folk, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, you seldom see a watch. I would imagine. And you know, I'm I'm surrounded myself sometimes with finance guys and and you know the New York scene, and you really don't see that many nice watches that often. I mean, even if you go to like the 21 club or some great New York, you know, kind of, mm -hmm. you know, power, uh, power lunch place. You really, you might see a Rolex, you might see a Patek Philippe, but like, that's about it, you know? So th there's so much, uh, work left to be done, uh, certainly on the coast, you know, New York, LA, San Francisco, and then you have the entire rest of the country, which is why so many brands are now, you know, really, really focusing on the U S because it's a stable market, mm -hmm. you know, and there, there's so much growth left, uh, growth potential left like China, Russia, all the, these markets have kind of been, you know, the, the ups and downs are significant in, yeah. in the U.S. Like it's it's stable, and I think I'm sure you guys see this, but I think that niche is really like where you want to be right now, right? Absolutely. And yeah. and this idea of broad mass market, right? I mean, certainly NBC still gets you know their viewers and stuff like that, but it's it's very hard now to just reach a super broad mass market and you know again i'm putting my business hat my advertiser hat on it used to be you know just you know let's reach as many people as possible and sell them all the same thing and what the internet has done and a lot of other things is that you can really now identify these niche communities around fashion or music or sports which has always been niche but now through the internet and stuff like that you can really drill in and those people will spend a ton of time and a ton of money on that thing that they feel like is really central to them. And so, uh, yeah, I think that, that what you guys are doing and, and the people that you are speaking to is, uh, you know, you're in a good spot right now. And also, uh, there's, like you said, like people want niche. And so even if they don't know about watches yet, if they get turned on to it, then they're kind of like hooked for life. Yeah. And that's why, why you're seeing that growth too. Yeah. I mean, th th that's exactly it. And Steven and I have been kind of very conscious of this from the beginning. It's, you know, 10 years ago, if you wanted to read about a watch short of going to watch time, which is a really trade kind of really yeah, technical yeah, yeah. focused magazine, you'd probably go to GQ, maybe Esquire, the New York times would do something like yeah. that. But then once you find out that we exist, you'll never go there again. And that's the right. same, the same is true for me when I talk about cars. Like I used to read Esquire and GQ mm -hmm. to, to learn about new cars. And then of course, Motor Trend and all that. But now even Motor Trend is too broad for me. Like I want to, I want to know about vintage cars and then 
modern cars with manual transmissions, which of which there are like none. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, you find these specialist sites like Petrolicious and, and others yep. that, that like that, that's the Hodinkee for me. It's Petrolicious and, and other sites like it. Mm -hmm. But I think even more than that is what, what we've seen is that advertisers are now waking up to this, you know, and like mm -hmm. five years ago, I mean, first of all, we were online, we're dealing with conservative market, like nobody paid attention at all. Uh, but now think, things have changed. And we, we saw this report recently by this, this uh, group of consultants that basically studies um, kind of multimedia value for, for stories published during Basel World and SIHH. Mm -hmm. And a story published on Hodinkee has more market value than a story published in the New York Times for Basel World. For uh, sure. Which is a crazy thing right. to think about. Yeah. This yes. is the New York Times. Insane. You know? but I mean, remember, I bought a Seiko. I mean, I, I was following what you guys were doing and it was through that, through those images and that, that, you know, that I, I, uh, that I was, that, that, that spurred me to go to the Seiko mm -hmm. boutique in New York when I, next time I was there, put myself on the list and, and, and buy a watch, which is, you know, uh, it's conversion, really, yep. is what it is. Yep. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And you know, many people asked us why we launched e-commerce, you know, five years ago, and sure. it's exactly this. It's, yeah. we know that our guys are converting based on our editorial. Why not just capitalize on it? You know, yeah. and it, it sounds a little crass, but at the same time, that was actually and still is the number one request we would get from our readers is, I want to just buy stuff from you. I trust you. Yeah. I know it's going to be good quality. Let's just do this. You know. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like trust, right? Like yeah. we all buy this stuff. Like you're a consumer, Ben. I'm a consumer. You're a consumer, Chris. Like we figured we could do a better job at it too mm -hmm. like so a we get to make a little bit of money which is nice and b we can you know it ends up being almost a feedback loop because we provide the community with a better service so people then want to stay involved and buy more because the the worst thing that can happen you know for us is that somebody discovers us gets interested in watches goes to try to buy a watch and has a bad experience right because then they're never coming back to the site right. they're not going to be involved in the community and they're probably not going to buy another watch and like they're done they're out We've lost lost a person and a potential evangelist. So we we think that we can provide a, an experience that will hopefully make for more more passionate watch guys. Yeah, you know I mentioned earlier that branded content was a a, a business that I started at Funnier Die and I'm still super involved in it. And what you try to do is you try to make something with an advertiser that your audience will actually like. Right. And that's not easy. It really isn't, and especially with working with conservative brands especially working with brands and trying to have them be funny, which is what we do. So I'm always on the lookout for when that's done well. Right. And I'm super impressed with what you guys have done. Uh, just recently, the IWC photo spread that you guys did. Yeah. Like, uh, I want to see that. I want, right. I want all of those photos. I want to look at it more than once. And I have... Uh, I totally understand that I'm being advertised uh, to uh, yeah. for these watches, but uh, that's that's an additive experience, right, to right. my my daily consumption of media. Yeah. Uh, just like what the ways that you know Vanity Fair and others have done in the past, right? So so uh, yeah, I I think that it's I think that for you guys, it's it's just a good thing that you guys are in a business where doing branded content, whether that be video content. Uh, on the road right through sure. the UK that you guys did or uh, photo spreads and this kind of stuff is actually additive. And then, like you said, bringing these watches for sale to me and making the experience really easy and really safe for me, that's also additive to me. And you guys are able to make money off that. So that's like a win-win across the board. You get it. <laughs> I get it. This guy gets it. Yeah. This guy gets I mean, it. The, 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 the native content stuff. I mean, that, that's something that, that Stephen and I were really resistant to for a long time. For yeah. A really long time. Basically up until last year. 
Uh, and then we said, hey, like we, we have to do this. Like we need to keep the the you know kind of the the door open with, with a lot of these brands as they pull away from IAB advertising. Right. Uh, and we've been so selective. We've basically done three or four packages. You know, yeah. Grand Seiko, uh, AP, the IWC thing that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And th- these are all things, as you say, that that are additive. These are these are beautifully produced packages that in many cases we simply would not be able to produce right. otherwise you know yeah. we couldn't afford to, to send a whole team to switzerland for a week and a half to do this yeah you know? or four guys to japan for 10 right. days right. like you know that's that's a serious shoot yeah yeah well we're gonna in a minute wrap up with our, our usual hodinky questionnaire mm-hmm. but before that we've we've talked about how you know our business turned turned 10 years old this year you guys turned 10 last year mm-hmm. uh we've done a lot of kind of uh na- navel gazing and, and looking back uh at kind of the special moments from from our history, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to maybe pick like three or four things from you know your time at Funny or Die that you think people should go take take a look at that you think represent either kind of important moments in the company's history or just like really amazing content that you're that you're proud of. Sure, yeah, I, I you know, we already talked about a couple of things from the landlord to. Between two ferns, the one we did with the, with President Obama, and so those are certainly like some landmark things uh, that people probably already know about. You know, if I think about some of the stuff that um, is really special to me, it's 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 probably some of the 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 opportunities that I've had to do really interesting work with some advertisers where you can sort of make the best possible stuff and and just it it it's not surprising that those are going to be things that we I got a chance to work with Will Ferrell on right so so I'd say one of my, one of the most fun things that I ever got an opportunity to do was it was probably 2012 um uh Pabst Brewing had been had been purchased by this this family here in LA and they they moved the operations from Chicago to LA and somehow we got connected to them. And there's this brand, Old Milwaukee, which is kind of near and dear to my, my heart being mm-hmm. from Wisconsin, that, that was like really in rough shape. In the 70s was like the number four most consumed beer in the United States, and it was basically going out of business. And they said, you guys can just do anything you want. Uh, just, just, we're just going to let you do anything you want with this brand because if any advertisers are listening and want us <laughs> to do that, please, please. Yeah. I love, yeah, I love that brief. Yeah. Well, and like we'd been doing enough work, uh, that I think they trusted funnier die. And then the fact that Will was going to be involved as well, yep. um, uh, they said, just go for it. And, and so they, they really gave us almost no money, but, uh, but also no oversight. And this idea, which was, you know, kind of, a combination between Will Farrell always, uh, you know, uh, enjoying sort of, sort of, uh, old school beer commercials. And then Andrew Steele, who's our creative director, he was the head writer at Saturday Night Live for many years and one of Will's closest friends. He loves like old, like, uh, bad, like local TV commercials. We had this idea that we would go on a road trip with Will across the Midwest and we would film local commercials for old Milwaukee beer in certain small towns across the Midwest. And then I went and bought local ad time and ran them, but only in those towns. So, <laughs> so I know this is starting to get weird, but the, it, so we went to Terre Haute, Indiana and Des Moines, Iowa, and of course, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And over the course of a couple of days, just in a, in a minivan, we shot some of just the funniest stuff that, 
I've had a chance to to be a part of, and uh, and uh, and then yeah, and then we would run them like on local TV, on local cable, and stuff like that. And the best part about it is that we decided not to put them online, at least not at first. Yeah. So people thought they were like hallucinating because they would, <laughs> you know, you're in Des Moines, Iowa, and you're watching Sports Center, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, I'm Will Ferrell here in Des Moines, Iowa, and I'm here for Old Milwaukee beer, and he's like in the Mississippi River for some reason, <laughs> and uh, then you go online and you're like, Will Ferrell, Old, Mo and nothing comes up, right? That's and so what ended up happening is that people would um, take their phones out yeah. and they would record them on their TVs and then they'd post these shitty videos from their phones <laughs> and they would start to, did you see this? I found this one. Cause we, we shot like 60 of them and it was like kind of this, uh, you know, see if you can collect all 60 kind of thing where we were seeing if people could actually find them and spot them and, and go kind of nuts for them. So not just from a creative standpoint and just the fun of being on a road trip with, you know, some of my best friends, both at the company and then, for Will to be there as well. And then just the fact that it worked, right? The fact that this, for no money, sort of became a national story. Yeah. Uh, um, we ended up running one uh, actually just in um, North Platte, Nebraska during the Super Bowl. And it was the only place you could see it was if you were in North Platte, Nebraska. But it blew up and yeah. it got like ad week, like top 10 ads of the Super Bowl or top 10 ads of the entire year. That's amazing. And so, that, you know, Funny or Die is always trying to do things that are different and subversive. That comes from the top, from Will and from Adam. And, uh, and, and so that's, that's one that I'm really proud of. And, you know, if you Google them, you can still find a bunch of them online and they're funny and they're weird and they worked. And it also, that has allowed us to do funnier and even weirder stuff yep. since then. So... So that's certainly one that I'm proud of. Yeah. Awesome. We'll have to link those up, Gray. Uh, we're going to have to go do some digging on YouTube <laughs> after this. Uh, yeah. I'll point you in the right direction if you can't find some of them. Perfect. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, let's let's do the Hodinkee questionnaire, and then mm -hmm. we'll do uh, do our cultural recommendations and get, get out of here so we can go enjoy some December sunshine. Sure. With the Chris, Christmas decorations that's out right. in the sun. Yes. Yeah, like I said, it's a bit of cognitive dissonance to see it really is. all those Christmas decorations and have all that sunshine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. So question one, uh, what's a watch that's caught your eye recently? Um, so one that uh, I got turned on to from a Hodinkee article that's caught my eye because it seems like something that uh, maybe I shouldn't be into, but I'm really into right now and I'm really excited to see when they come out is the Grand Seiko Sport Quartz GMT. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's obviously Grand Seiko is something um, with my affinity for Seikos that I'm super interested in and uh, and so I, I, I love everything that, that they have out right now from the high beats to uh, all the different beautiful dials that they are not sort of offering now and they're becoming much more popular in the US, obviously. But this idea of, a, of like a quartz watch that's so good that it's, you know, that it's like impressive totally. that you have a quartz watch kind of fits into my idea of like, um, yeah, I own a quartz watch, but it's, like the best possible quartz watch yeah. that you could ever own. And so, I don't know, that's one that um, I wouldn't have thought was going to be something that's interesting to me, but I keep going back and looking at the photos and, and I'm really excited to actually see it. 
Um, I hope they have it here at the boutique here in Beverly Hills. They when probably they, do. I, yeah. I don't know, but they probably I do. I would think yeah. so. Yeah. 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 All right. So what is the best place you've traveled in the last year? So I've really only done two cool trips this year, um, uh, given that my wife gave birth to our second child in, yeah. in, um, in June. But um, there, were t- there were two great places. Uh, one is London, which is a great place to go. Yeah. I, ha- I had a chance to be there for the ro- royal wedding. Uh, we, we actually did a broadcast Speaking of Will Ferrell Cord, doing Cord and Tish. Cord and Tish, exactly, on HBO of all places. So had a chance to go to London for that. And London's obviously just an awesome town. And to be there with all the pomp and circumstance of a royal wedding was pretty fun. Um, but I'd say that what topped that for me was that, um, well, as you recall, I was in Switzerland. I went oh, to Switzerland yeah, for a yeah. wedding in Our March. Our paths almost crossed. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, right, it was the weekend before Basel, I yep. think, right? Yeah, and... Uh, um, and so um, I'd never been to Switzerland, uh, which was very nice. But what really stood out from that trip is that we spent a couple nights in Lake Como. So we flew into Milan and we drove through Lake Como on our way up to the wedding in Switzerland. And um, I had not had a chance to go there before. It's obviously beautiful. People, you know, um, people always are singing its praises. But what's kind of interesting for me is that it was like the season hadn't really started yet because it was March. Mm. And so we were at, um, I'm going to blank on the name of the hotel, but one of the the big main ones on the lake. And we were like the only people there. Oh, and so, so nice. we just had the whole place to ourselves. And it was, it was a little cooler out and rained a couple, uh, a couple times, but it was so fun just to have that entire staff just waiting on us, you yeah. know, uh, and, 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 uh, having, you know, the restaurants to ourselves being able to take the boat out on the lake and just just kind of whatever we needed. So uh, I look I look forward to going back, hopefully when it's a little warmer next time. Sweet. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received and who gave it to you? I've, I've received a lot of good advice over the years and have had a number of bosses over the years that I've learned a ton from. Um, my first uh, two bosses at CAA taught me a lot about... Um, this world and how to communicate in this world and how to navigate this world of Hollywood and entertainment. Um, at Funny or Die, I have learned so much from so many people about creativity, but also about business. But if I'm being honest, the, the thing that's going to stand out the most is that um, I was fortunate enough that my dad would drop me off at school every single day, right? We had our own small business, and that yeah. was one of the things that he, that he was able to do, which not a lot of people are able to do. And he would tell me every single day as I was getting out of the car to go into school, he said, do your best. And so that's something that just sticks with me and um, has stuck with me through school. But also, it's just something that permeates what I do every day. Um, these jobs that we have are very fun and we get to do a lot of cool stuff, but they're also really hard. None of us are just sitting in middle management somewhere, just kind of blending in and just Mm -hmm. kind of coasting, right? Everything we do is up to us. If you don't close that deal, if you don't get on that airplane, if you don't try harder to make something happen, it's just not going to happen. And so, um, so that's what that's the piece of advice that I live by is do your best. It's also um, it's also comforting when something doesn't go your way that 
as long yeah. as you did your best, what else are you gonna do? Totally. The world, we live in a world, things happen, things fall through, things blow up. That is just how things go. As long as you can look yourself in the mirror and say, well, I did my best, I did everything I could to make that happen or to try, then you can feel pretty good about yourself. So that's the one for me. Awesome. Uh, and then do you, have, do you have any guilty pleasures? I do. I know you asked this on the podcast. I'm surprised most people don't say watch collecting. Uh, That's true, actually. That would be <laughs> because, the ultimate like, gotcha answer. Yeah. Outside of the, uh, this community, anybody else would say, you probably shouldn't be spending your money that way. But uh, for me, and this is a whole other dark world that we don't even have to get into for me, but it's, um, it's airline status. Yeah. Oh man. So, you and me both. <laughs> oh boy. So Gray, Gray is ready to walk out of this room and stop talking to us. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't name our airlines. I don't know if we have the same airline that we pursue status uh, on. So, so this is really bad. You told me what flight you normally take to New York. Yeah. So I don't think we're on the same airline. Right. That flight doesn't exist on my airline. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's, it's, it's bad, and and I find myself doing things um, uh, like, oh, I'll connect through whatever because maybe I'll get some more yep. miles, or oh, I'll, yeah. I'll uh, <laughs> if I, you know, I could, I mean, I, I know like the fare codes, and yep. it's like, well, if actually, if I just spend an extra 150 bucks, I'll get double miles on that. And you just do yeah. weird things that you shouldn't do. Totally. And my, by the way, my wife turned me on to this and now, and now she's like, you've gone too far. Yeah. Our flight out here to LA was massively delayed last night uh, because of a crack in the airplane. Yeah. Uh, they deboarded us twice. Uh -huh. We finally got off the ground. And uh, as we were getting off the ground, I got an email from from the airline that was, uh, "Hey, you know, we're so sorry for the the mistake. We'd like to give you a little something to to say we're sorry." And the options are a one hundred dollar travel certificate mm -hmm. or uh, five thousand miles. Mm -hmm. I've spent the last. I guess at this point, like 16 hours trying to do the math as to which of those is more advantageous. Exactly. Uh, and I will continue to do that math. I will be the last right. person to claim my reward. Uh, I will have spent way more than $100 worth of time yes. focused on it. <laughs> right. But, uh, but I'll feel so good about it. So speaking of rewards, one of the things that my status on my airline does is it gives you these things that allow you to upgrade to first class on an international flight. Mm -hmm. So you pay for a coach ticket and you can upgrade. Yep. They, they're only good for however, a year or whatever, and then they expire. I, um, <laughs> my wife gives birth to our first child, our son, in November, and I see that our upgrade certificates expire at the end of January. <laughs> I love and where the story's going. <laughs> so naturally I say, well, I guess I'll just let them. Or I do <laughs> an insane amount of research and I know that I can't be away for long, but I also, I'm not gonna like just fly to the Caribbean. I have to like go someplace where that's like yeah. worth it. Of course. So I secretly talked to my wife's cousin, who's also a, a maniac and is kind of down for whatever, and convince him, because I know if he's going, maybe she won't be so mad at me. And then I, I um, reveal to her that what I would like to do it's already all booked, is to fly to Tokyo for a day and back. And, 
and to use those before the, they expire. And she was not happy, but she also um, somehow I convinced her to let me do it. That's so amazing. we hopped on a flight. We flew across the Pacific Ocean. We had sushi and whiskey and saw as much stuff as we could possibly do. And then we headed right back to the airport and we flew back. That's amazing. Yeah. That is so good. For a couple hundred bucks. Great. We got to get on this. <laughs> I actually did it once before. So yeah? For 24 hours in Tokyo. That's your podcast. Well, then let's, let's do that again. Yeah. I got more certificates. Okay. Airlines, let's go. Com- coming soon to uh, the Hodinkee Podcast Network is a uh, podcast all about airline points. Yeah. It's Gray and Chris, and we're just going to like identify crazy places to go. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, sweet. So to wrap things up, uh, mm-hmm. we always end with a cultural recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, what is something you recommend everybody check out after uh, they're done listening? So I'll do I'll do two. Okay, if that's okay. Yeah, One is it's a little bit self serving, but I'm not sure when this is coming out. But uh, uh, Cord and Tish will be back at the Rose Parade this year, January first. Oh, awesome. uh, if this comes out after that, it will be available VOD. And that's something that I've been working on for the last couple months that I'm super excited about. And it's going to be funny and crazy and bizarre. And if you like Will Ferrell and if you like Funny or Die, you're going to love it. So that's a little plug for that. And then the other thing um, is that I assume folks listening like podcasts, they probably like weird minutia (laughs) of the world. I hope so. And so... There's a podcast that I, 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 I recommend often because um, I don't think it's that popular. And so hopefully pe- more people tune in. And it's called Futility Closet with an F, Futility Closet. Oh, I don't know this. And it's, so this is going to sound like worlds colliding, but I think I first got turned on to it from like an old Grey NATO episode. Okay. Where there was like some watch story that maybe got told through this. Awesome. Um, so maybe shout out to those guys. But um it comes out once a week. It's like 30 minutes long. It's these two, I think, like uh, it's this uh, married couple who are like researchers uh, somewhere maybe in North Carolina at one of the universities. And every week they just do a deep dive on some kind of weird story um, of history that's kind of been maybe lost to time that people oh, don't really awesome. know a lot about. Some stuff maybe you've heard of, some stuff that maybe has been turned into movies, but they really kind of dive deep into it. And it's just the best. Um, uh, it's the best drive into work to be able to, um, you know, like uh, be turned on to some kind of new and interesting fact. Uh, a lot of World War II stuff, a lot of World War One stuff, a lot of stuff even older than that. Um, so, uh, and pl- I think actually a number that have to do with watches and timekeeping and that kind of stuff. So, Sweet. I definitely would recommend that. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie that I saw this past weekend that I've told basically everyone I've come in contact mm-hmm. with about since I saw it, uh, which is The Favorite. Oh, yes. Uh, have you seen it? I haven't, but it I is, was just at dinner last night and people were raving about it. It is so fucking weird. Yeah. It's amazing. Yes. It's, it's the first movie I've seen in a very long time where I saw it and was like, A, who the hell gave money to make this thing? Like whoever, uh-huh. whoever funded this is a genius. Yeah. Uh, whoever saw that this could be something amazing. Um, but it's just like, it's shot in weird ways. It's acted amazingly. Um the whole like art and stage direction is is simultaneously beautiful and really grotesque. Uh, it takes place in the 18th century in the in the British court, um, and it's everything is very over the top, uh, but also kind of filthy. Like everything has this like coating of like mud mm-hmm. and dirt on it. Um, 
it's great. It's a, it's a completely. And I've heard it's funny. It's like it's, funny it's in a hilarious. weird, like dark comedy kind of way. It's hilarious. It, it's, I mean, there are scenes where you're, you're cringing and you can't believe like the conversations that are happening are happening. And then there's other scenes where the, the, I saw it in a full theater where the theater was just like, everybody's cackling. I yeah. mean, it was, it was amazing. Um, I highly recommend you go see it in theaters too. I don't think it will have the same impact. Right. Uh, if you're watching it at home by yourself. Um, I don't want to say too much about the plot. It's honestly not that important. Um, you'll <laughs> like, you'll enjoy it anyway. Uh, in fact, the plot may actually like turn you off to the movie, but, uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's probably the best movie I've seen in a long, long time. I really, but it's really getting it. a lot of buzz for uh, best picture nomination. All three actresses are getting buzz for nomination. The three actresses so. are unbelievable. Yeah, uh, Emily Weiss in particular is is just yeah. insane. Um, yeah, or Rachel Weiss. It's Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss. Um, yeah, Rachel Weiss. Cool. Well, uh, I think that does it for us. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, hopefully, we'll be doing a lot more events out here. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys, and I hope to see you out in sunny LA soon. This week's episode was recorded at the 60 Beverly Hills Hotel in Los Angeles and was produced and edited by Grayson Corhonan. Please remember to subscribe and rate the show. It really does make a difference. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.